That's a film, isn't it? Oh, I have a question for you, Matthew. Yeah, go on. Question number one. Are we recording? Yeah, yeah, we're recording. We're recording. Okay, cool. Why does that movie exist? Well, Universal weren't accustomed to making money, um, <laughs> having existed for 100 years and having many of the most profitable films ever to their name. Remember when I said to you, no matter how bad you're imagining it is, I promise you it's worse, and you said, I'm really looking forward to it? <laughs> how do you feel now, fuckwad? <laughs> this, is the, this is Secret Agent Man. I am so insane, I almost said this is There Will Be Movies. Welcome to EnterTheRealWorld.com. This is Secret Agent Man, episode 10, The Born Legacy, aka two hours of Tony Gilroy telling on himself. My name is Matt Waters, I'm joined by Ben Phillips. Ben? How do you yeah. feel? Do you need therapy? Uh, it's, I don't... It's just one of those things where like, I was just watching it and it was like a realisation that like this is an utterly pointless movie. It's nothing. It's nothing. <laughs> there were moments where I was just like, oh no, there are bits of this that are salvageable. It has things to say about like surveillance. Drones are bad. Drones are bad. It felt like kind of like Tony Gilroy was looking at like the four years in between this movie and Born Automating was just like, well, drones are a thing in the media now and, and mass shootings have perked up a little bit. Uh-huh. And then decided to put them all into a movie that yep. also features Jeremy Renner popping pills to become a super soldier. Asian pharmaceutical companies. Asian uh, Terminator. Yes, Asian Terminator. I will give you £10 right now if you can tell me the first fucking thing about Ed Norton or Stacey Keach's characters. Uh, Ed Norton is a Navy SEAL? Nope. Okay. <laughs> See? It's nothing. Uh, he's something, though, isn't he? He's like... he's like a retired Air Force person, I'm told by not the film, because the film loves to not tell you things, such well, as Operation Outcome is part of Blackbriar, so potentially Paz and Desh were outcome operatives. I... <laughs> And Jason Bourne still killed one of them. Yeah, I said to you during the film, and I was just like, this feels like such a process movie. It feels like something made in the wake of a Breaking Bad. And obviously Breaking Bad makes a a big point of kind of being like, right, we're going to be the show that shows step by step how things happen. So like season one is like, we're going to do three episodes on him disposing of bodies is how the show starts yes <laughs> this feels like that kind of thing where it's just like we're going to show you the step by step how the government would track this person how they would go about kind of like um getting rid of this kind of thing but then yeah, it's that, like that teased being interesting but then it wasn't <laughs> yeah but then they kind of go like right what if we took out like half of all the process yeah and did a subpar mystery box kind of thing where you're kind of doubting everything that's going on but also the movie's far more apparent than you think it is because like they were about like a half some plot points I was just like oh okay this is going to be something they're going to like subvert my expectations on later it's like no 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 that kind of shady conversation at the beginning of the movie that's just how it was we just decided to relay information to you in a way that made you not trust it yeah you were like (laughs) you were like are we going to find out why he's in trouble I was like you know why he's in trouble (laughs) 
that's just it. Oh, what a sack of shit. Um, it's, it's just like, oh, he's having a conversation with Oscar Isaac, and it's like, cool, okay. So When's this the shoe like, gonna drop? Yeah, like, he's he's, he's needling this guy because, like, he's in love with someone and has been put in this place, so maybe there's, like, something more to it. Maybe, I don't know, there'd, there'd be anything to it, but it's just... Are they gonna try and kill each other? <laughs> are they gonna try and kill each other? Oh, they didn't show Oscar Isaac's corpse. Maybe that's gonna be something that's gonna come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sequel no one was calling for. Yeah, the sequel no one was calling for. The actor no one was asking for. Um, <laughs> we've got back like all the actors from the last movie for a scene. Like yeah. I think all of them have like a scene yeah. that they do no, something. No Julia Styles, but no Julia Styles, but like Almost Joan Allen, else. Albert Finney, David Strathairn, Scott Glenn, all come back for wrapping up the character from the last movie. Yep. Really? Yeah. And that's about it? Because they um, decided to have the beginning of this movie entirely intertwined with the events of the Bourne Ultimatum. Jason is coming to New York, Jason got away, blah blah blah. And it starts with like reusing footage and then it evolves into like actual, oh yeah, we paid them to do one scene. <laughs> oh god, released August 2012, so five years after the Bourne Ultimatum. Five years and they couldn't get their shit together. And you know what I'm happy about? What? Avengers was out a couple of weeks before this. I know, Jeremy Renner's star was just on the rise. He's in Ghost Protocol, he's in Avengers, he's in this. He almost had the keys to two franchises. Avengers is my favourite movie of those three. Uh-huh. He's probably best in Ghost Protocol. I guess. For as weird as that role is for him, where, like, it starts off interesting, and then obviously they kind of go like, right, but the ending's not happening the way it was, so your role's just now different. Fight and some then dude. <laughs> yeah, and then there's this movie where he's, like, a drug addict. Yeah. But to stop himself from being mm-hmm. legally not admittable to the army, as yep. you told me afterwards. Yep. <laughs> Well, actually, no, because also, like, they talk about, like, the withdrawal that he'd go through would make him even more stupid yep. than, than that as well. Like, yep. he would functionally be brain dead if he comes off the drugs. Yes, he would regress past where he started, which is lower than the army are willing to accept, which we'll get into. But, as I said, directed by Tony Gilroy, who has come off directing Michael Clayton, his debut, and uh, Duplicity. Michael Clayton got a lot of awards, he got nominated for some stuff. And yet this is a tour de force in... I don't think this dude can direct. <laughs> he, of course, as you know, his name has come up a lot in this series because he wrote the first three. Wrote in sort of air quotes for the third one because, as said, his draft was apparently terrible. But he's back, he's seized full control. Uh, no Paul Greengrass, no Matt Damon. And he brought his brother, Dan Gilroy, who would direct and write Nightcrawler about a year or two later, which is a good movie. He's along for the ride as well. They wrote it together. And their brother John edited it. So it's a Kilroy family fuckfest. (laughs) It's two hours and 15 minutes long for some reason. By far the longest born film. Always a good sign, you know, when you're just deciding to change your creative team. $125 million budget, so it's the highest budget of the Bourne movies, but only made $276 million, which makes it the least profitable of the Bourne movies, because it only just doubled budget. So the longest, the most expensive, the least profitable, and the worst. So so, so remember how Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol looks really damn good. Yeah. These movies have got the same cinematographer. Really? I guess they couldn't do it with the colour palette of white and grey. <sighs> but, but yeah, so Robert Ellswit, probably most famous for his cinematography on No One Blood, uh-huh. did cinematography on Ghost Protocol, and oh, then God. presumably moved moved straight on to Bourne Legacy after doing that. Presumably came off his uh, his chems and his IQ <laughs> dropped, and then he made this. <laughs> oh, 
God. So yeah, as mentioned when we did Ultimatum, the plan was to end the Bourne films with Ultimatum, but then they got greedy and started talking about doing a fourth one with everyone coming back. George Nolfi and Joshua Zatuma wrote drafts. Nolfi moved on to do Adjustment Bureau. And then Matt Damon was talking about, oh yeah, we're going to do one, we're going to do one, we're going to do one. But then Paul Greengrass decided he was going to pass and Matt Damon said he didn't want to do one without him, so he stepped back, but was publicly acknowledging that Universal were probably going to do a prequel or a film with a different director and actor in it. But then when Tony Gilroy stepped up, he said, we couldn't possibly do a prequel. You couldn't replace Matt Damon. So his chief concern was to enhance what came before. He failed quite (laughs) spectacularly. And he was actually originally only brought in for like a two-week, I guess, brainstorming session, like a producer type role, just to talk about the direction they would take it. And he said he stayed on the project because he felt that this character they invented, Aaron Cross, was so compelling. I strongly disagree <laughs> speaking of Aaron Cross Jeremy Renner BL Taylor Kitsch Shia LaBeouf Adam Brody Luke Evans Jake Gyllenhaal Josh Hartnett Toby Maguire Michael Fassbender Dominic Cooper Paul Dano Joel Edgerton and Oscar Isaac for this role among other people who I didn't deem quite big enough to write down <laughs> Every single one of those probably would have been better, but hey. I mean, I don't want to say Jeremy Renner is the reason the film is bad. The film is bad on a number of levels. I would say Uh, almost all of them. (laughs) I think that this movie doesn't fail on an acting level. I think everyone in this movie is trying their best. Yes, like, like, Raquel Weiss uh, especially, I think, is probably faring the best out of everyone. They're giving a shit all to do, as is tradition with women in this podcast. But yeah, just, you know, Jeremy Renner's an asshole. so... And also, like, I really can't believe that Hollywood looked at Jeremy Renner and his career and him and were like, yeah, this is a guy that people want to root for and is going to be a charismatic lead in a franchise. He is much better at playing villains because he's very clearly a dickhead in real life, so... I hope people don't think we're, like, some kind of Jeremy Renner fan podcast. (laughs) There have been a disproportionate number of Jeremy (laughs) Renner movies discussed here. Are you gonna take him off the all-Marvel list for our, uh, MCU stuff? I mean, I already said I was taking him off for JJ... JJJ. Okay, that's fine. There were full plans to do, like, a full-on Aaron Cross, like, is the lead of this franchise now. I don't know if they would have kept calling them Bourne, or if they would have been, like, Aaron Cross in Blood Skull, I don't know. But that subsided as the sequel entered developmental hell. Matt Damon and others like repeatedly were like, we're not going to cross the two characters over. And then eventually Matt Damon came back. And I'm pretty sure Aaron Cross is, there are no plans for him to ever return to cinema. But From what I remember, there are also no references to like super soldier enhanced drugs. And yeah, the movie oh, is... we haven't even gotten to that. We're doing super soldiers now. We're doing sci-fi guys. Yeah, like the, the Jason Bourne does not have any of that stuff. No. Not at all. Like, its entire deal was, we're like the super serious, super gritty, super realistic series, while Mission Impossible is going to get more and more bombastic, and always has been a little bit sort of tongue-in-cheek, as has Bond been. Uh, And Bond got more serious, but yeah, these were always supposed to be sort of smaller, more realistic, less mainstream appeal, uh, but you know. And then they're like, yeah, what if like super soldiers and magic pills that make smart? Yeah, (laughs) but also like, we'll couch it in the idea that like this is real stuff that's existed for many many years look i've got no doubt that the u.s 
government have us have done various experiments with enhancement shit but like the way it's presented is such a hard turn i don't know it's just there was not a trace of this in any of the first three and i haven't read robert ludlum's books i doubt there was there our agent this time is (laughs) for the first time not Ethan Hunt, or Jason Bourne, or James Bond. It is Aaron Cross, who is chattier than Jason Bourne. He is flirtier than Jason Bourne. And somehow that translates to him being less interesting than Jason Bourne. He He also has a boner for murder. Yes, very kill-happy. No ounce of regret. No confusion about who he is. Like, he's aware of what happened to it. Like, there's a, they're going for a similar... He went through a change in this program, but he knows exactly what happened. He basically has magical powers because of the chems. Like, hearing drones from so far out and various other things. He's just... He, he is getting into Ethan Hunt levels of just the Uberman. And then without them, he's a big old dum-dum, apparently. There, I don't understand how Tony Gilroy felt this was a compelling character. There is nothing about this character that is compelling. In a better version of the script, the idea of not wanting to lose who I am could be a compelling narrative. But it's not executed well, and this character comes across as, I would say, unlikable at times. Like, when he's getting the examination, and he's just, like, basically harassing her. It's like, is this our hero now? Like, Jason Bourne was revealed to have signed up willingly for a kill program, and he's still more likeable. Yeah, it's so weird because the entire movie is couched in this thing where, like, he's interrogating other people about why they're involved in it, but it feels so artificial. Every single person, he's trying to get to know them, have a conversation with them. Like, he sits down and has that conversation with Rachel Wise, he has that conversation with Oscar Isaac, and it's all couched in, like, oh, who are we as people? Let's be friends. I've never met anyone from from the project (laughs) before or anything like that. Um, And and he's got his, like, open disdain for the program. He's like, oh, what did you do? Think for your yourself and it's like who are you who is this one-liner guy yeah like he's got nothing to offer beyond this there's no depth he's not rebelling against the the program or at least in no way that feels significant to anything of like he he needs his fix man and like the movie opens in this just utterly bizarre way where we don't know who this guy is he's in the middle of the fucking wilderness there are wolves around he's looking at pills he's jumping over like crevasses and it's supposed to be impressive feats but it's shot in such a way where it doesn't feel like it's all that impressive that he makes the jump it's just things that are happening yeah the first section of this movie feels like someone at universal watched the gray and was just like (laughs) "Ooh, people like wolves in the in alaska in the wilderness (laughs) in alaska but like then again like the gray came out like six months before this so maybe everyone just had a hard-on for wolves in 2012 Mm. Well, who doesn't? Fun fact, Matt's favourite animal. I don't have a hard one for them, Jesus Christ. Anyway, much like that comment, the entire opening of this movie is just so unnecessarily messy. Like, intertwining these three stories. Like like you said, you've got Aaron I'm Cross... Sorry. Doing... I'm sorry, you cannot call the third strain of this a story. Well, okay, <laughs> when I wrote this... I didn't realise that it was literally going to be a 30 second scene and then a shooting. But, you know, here's Aaron doing shit in the wilderness. And then here's a character who you may not remember from the previous movie. And now here's our new person in the chair, as it were. And then also, here's a science lady. Don't worry about it. She's going to be back in 20 minutes. It's like, could they not have done one at a time? Because it just comes across as we realise what we've done is boring. So we edited them together to make them less boring. But instead, it's just like, I am not attaching to anything here. Because Aaron doesn't speak for 15 minutes. And the stuff going on with Ezra and Terso 
and and Eric Bayer is all just so convoluted. And I just, I kind of wish they either did a cold open with either Aaron in the snow or the CIA shit, then move to the other and then move back. Rather than this just all over the place back and forth where it's impossible to get a grasp on what the fuck's going on. I don't understand why you structure it this way in the way of kind of like trying to make it interesting, kind of make it flow. But the three strains feel so counterintuitive to anything else that's going on. And it's like you're putting us in a setting that's so completely different to every other board movie. Yeah. And that is completely removed from human civilization with a character doing things we don't understand why they're doing them. Yeah. Whilst you're also putting us into the literal same time frame as the last movie. Yeah, the middle of the last movie. The middle of the last movie and kind of going like, right, you need to keep up with this because this stuff's happening contiguously. Yeah. With Until it isn't anymore. <laughs> Until, yeah. And meanwhile, <laughs> But also, this guy's like tracking down wolves, and there are pills, and they're important. And yeah. you've got Aaron doing a training exercise in Alaska. He is living in the wilderness. He is—he's completely fending for himself. He's taking the medication. He reaches this safe house in record time. He has a very terse interaction with Oscar Isaac. Do you think? Uh, so they start with the very like on the nose homage to the floating in the water scene, but then he's like, "Oh, he's diving in." Okay, and then he emerges from the water, and it's like, is this supposed to have been an answer to Daniel Craig coming out of the water? Because Daniel Craig was a lot bigger than Jeremy Renner is. So yeah, the, I I think the moment after I saw it, I well, I didn't text you that Jeremy Renner is very weirdly proportioned. <laughs> uh, I was going to text you, like not as weirdly proportioned as Tom Cruise was in the last movie, but decently weirdly proportioned for this movie. But then the beard, and I was just like, <laughs> what the fuck is this? Yeah. And then he keeps it for like the first. 40 minutes of the movie and I was just like no get this away from me right now this is awful and terrible and I don't like it and then he shaves on the way to Chicago apparently (laughs) yeah at Um, some point maybe when he's in the plane he's like he's bored and he's just flying the plane he's just like I need to to shave this awful thing off he's clean shaved for most of the movie but he's got the fucking goatee in flashbacks it's like no that's not better no there's no version of his face that's good Oscar Isaac hates him on sight as you said it feels like we're waiting for something to happen here and it doesn't and it seems like he's kicking like some conversation something yeah he basically is like oh you're gonna leave first thing in the morning we're done talking and then he's like ah you might as well stay let's talk and then he just dies and you don't see his corpse (laughs) and like he asks the goddamn question about like oh maybe the wolves don't think you're human anymore and it's like Oh, but then it very much does seem that way in a minute because the wolves do fully like seem to have this grudge against him. And it's like, are you against. saying they can smell the chems in his brain and it's making him not register? Like, what? They don't not hunt humans because they know what a human is. They just judge the shape and behavior of a human to be not something they're interested in. Why would they be interested? Oh, yeah, it's bad. It's, it's bad. so bad. You know who's good though? Who? Oh. Oscar Isaac. Yeah, he's great. We should put a him in cert- that stuff. A certified cutie. Yeah, when you you sent me a text saying that, and I actually genuinely didn't know if you meant Oscar Isaac or Rachel Weisz. <laughs> and I think the answer is both. It is both, but in the, in that context, it was Oscar Isaac. Yeah. Who, at this point, I think, was just too... Like, if I'd watched this movie in 2012, he probably would have just been like, oh, it's the guy from Drive who gets his head blown off. Yeah, I didn't register as him when I first saw it. And I was like, oh, yeah, he is in this. And, and then, obviously, his career explodes the next couple of years. So Aaron Cross is doing this because he missed a check-in. Yep, no greater reveal. What does that mean? Who does he check in with? But who's his handler? I don't know. 
They don't tell you. You know the scene later where uh, she has the flashback to treating him? Yeah. He says something about not giving his blood work or something, and I wondered if that was supposed to have been the incident that caused this to happen, or if it was supposed to be longer ago. Because he says they've met 13 times, Stalker. He's I really super smart, I, I know he's super smart now. But then also, like, he he does the course, which he wasn't supposed to do it in the way that he did it. No one comes over the mountain. Why did you come over the mountain if you didn't know it was being timed? And, and he does it two days quicker. Yeah. He said that he's dropped the pills. Even which though the sounds movie like a massive lie, but they never confirm. They never confirm it, but the movie also doesn't show that he's dropped yeah. the pills. The, it, like, there's a subtext in the movie that he's a junkie, and it's like, yeah. right... Well, those are the two options. He either is a junkie for this stuff, so he's taking more than he's supposed to, so he's run out early, or he genuinely did drop it and they chose not to show us, and he is medically concerned and needs more. Neither's a great option. <laughs> Both seem confusing. One, it actually seems interesting, yeah. but the movie never delves into it. No. And never, like, because again, him being a junkie makes it interesting and puts some context on later scenes where yeah. he's, like, holding people at gunpoint going, like, Give me my fucking chems. Give me my fucking chems. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it ends up making it feel like everything vaguely good in this was an accident. <laughs> Rather than they had good ideas, they were incapable of following through on. They also, there's the, Jason Bourne's name is scratched in the wood of the safe house, and it's like, you know, I know they've called it the Bourne Legacy, and I know Matt Damon's shadow was always going to loom over this, but they've also gone out of their way to make this whole thing feel lesser than, and doing stuff like that, where it's like, oh, he's a legend and you're not him. It's like, why would you do this? Why wouldn't you do, like, a... I'm not saying Triple X 2 is a good movie, but they go out of their way to be like, oh, he's better than Vin Diesel. Yeah, do, do we like, reckon... It may not be true, but fucking say it. <laughs> do we reckon the previous record was held by Jason Bourne? Yeah, probably. And the, movie, and the movie's, like, holding back, going, like, but there's probably a cutscene where Oscar Isaac goes, I don't know, some guy named Jason, and the movie, like, hangs on it for a second. It's just like, <gasps> Jason Bourne. I don't fucking know. Speaking of Jason Bourne, so Ezra Kramer is back, and he is briefing Stacey Keach, who is allegedly called Mark Terso, which I had to look up, because I don't think they ever say that, and they don't tell you who the fuck he is, he just goes to some man, and is like, hey, Simon Ross is gonna write an expose on Treadstone and Blackbriar, and then he's like, telling him off, he's the director of the CIA, and he's being told off by this man, so clearly he's quite powerful. Is he a senator or something? Because he's got the little, like, US yeah. flag badge. I'm he just does like, have just... that very, yeah, senator office, doesn't he? Yeah, but then it's, but then there's just like, then he goes like, oh, I'll go speak to Bayer, because no one else is allowed to speak to Bayer. It's like, yeah. are, we gonna, are we implicating someone important here? And then, no, it's just retired Air Force colonel, it's like... But then, like, again, not said in the film, Bayer is supposed to be have always been involved well tony gilroy said his plan was that ed norton's character has been involved all along and it's like he was instrumental in setting up treadstone and blackbriar and larks and (laughs) outcome and all of this shit but it's really unclear like he is just approached while jogging at night and then brought in and then like you've got Corey Stoll geeking out about Bourne's test results and Ed Norton is like telling him off and he's like hey we are treating an infection and we are trying to see how much we can cut away without losing the patient and this, but yeah uh, they're, they're talking in this kind of like circular language and it's just like what on earth are they talking about what's yeah. the infection what is 
this? Why are we just not... I know these movies have to be full of exposition, but why is it so yeah. goddamn difficult and like, for you to just say a sentence that makes sense? Yeah, and it's it's never good when like villains just state their plan, but I could have gone for some of that here, because it is never clear, and it's like, I can infer that like, Blackbriar and Treadstone are going public, let's make this as let's minimize the mess as much as possible let's see what else would be implicated if these things came out and like he ends up recommending that they shut down or pause all of their programs and preserve the data and try again later basically and it's like and you're and you're seeing all these events playing out with like Vosen's right hand man from Ultimatum calling Bayer to rat on him and being like oh Jason's coming to New York or whatever or, or Jason's in New York and I guess on some level it would be interesting to see and like you know the idea that Ed Norton's like over the street or on a different floor or something the whole time and like I guess on some level that is an interesting exercise to write around the other movie which one of its big hooks was it was taking place during events from the second movie and and so on but it just it never fully comes together and it all just seems to be beating you over the head with the fact that this isn't as good as that that's the thing it's like each Bourne movie kind of added on to what the previous movie was doing and it started showing like new sides to stuff and kind of going like oh this thing you thought you knew everything about there's more to it whereas this is like Paul Greengrass has finished building this immaculate house and then Tony Gilroy has kind of gone like right but what if this small wooden shack over here was also part of the house I'm gonna whack a gaudy extension onto the side that doesn't go with the rest of the architecture Exactly. It, it's like it's like that, and it doesn't fit at all. The movie is just utterly bizarre in how it's paced, and I'm just now realising that at no point in this movie does Edward Norton have a conversation with either Jeremy Renner or Rachel Weisz. No, he has he, a flashback with Jeremy Renner. He does, but he just disappears out the fucking movie once yeah. the once no, Lark shows up. Like, confrontation or anything like that. Like, like even born, even born identity, which we which you kind of like were disappointed on the rewatch, has a scene yeah. where. Bourne confronts Chris Cooper. That is in the movie. It isn't a big thing, yeah. but it's so weird that the entire movie is he's trying to become inoculated into this virus. Meanwhile, he's being chased, but neither side is aware that they're being chased, and it's just like the big boogeyman yeah. of the US government is chasing them. Yeah. Jason had his confrontation with Brian Cox. He met Pam Landy. You know, he met his personal boogeyman in Hirsch, who is here, by the way. He's like caught on camera at dinner with this character. Dan Hillcott, who is the medical guy with Outcome, while Hirsch was the medical guy with Treadstone. And it's like, oh, this is on YouTube. There's like six of these. We're all fucked now. It's like, why is that now? I I genuinely don't understand. (laughs) Yeah, it's just so poorly realised. And like, I have to assume that Ed Norton signed up because they put maybe slightly more effort into writing his dialogue than most other people's. And I can see how he would see some of this written down and be like, yeah, I could do that. But then it just doesn't end well at all. (laughs) No, that's the thing is, I like all the process stuff with this, and it does make the government seem, like, really scary. Yeah. Where they're all kind of going through, like, going, like, right, I want every single person who's on this flight, I want you to flash it up, show me their faces, see if there's anyone who looks weird. And, like, just all the kind of little things they have to do to keep track of them, and how quickly they're getting through it, where, like, they find out where they're going 45 minutes after they've landed. And it's like, they had such a huge head start, and they've already managed to eat all that time back. Yeah. And it's a good role 
in terms of like showing how scary all this stuff is. Yeah. It's just it doesn't amount to anything. It's it's like Tony Gilroy has a chip on his shoulder and it's like I want to show you how scary this stuff can be, but he didn't think of any way to actually make it like narratively interesting. So yeah. there's like a few isolated scenes of like this is a good idea, mm-hmm. but in the context of this movie, it feels so out of place and so tonally weird to the point where the next scene we're going to talk about is I presume the scene where Jeremy Renner gets a wolf to be blown up. Yes, so Bayer orders them to kill all of the outcome assets, and while most of them, they just are like, oh, we're switching you to these new pills that just kill them a few hours after they take them. Is it even hours? Is it more like minutes? I don't know, but not like immediately. Because Aaron is up in this safe house, they can't do that there, so they have a drone go and destroy the safe house, but Cross escapes, shoots one out of the sky, and then tricks them into thinking the other drone has killed him because he feeds his tracker to a wolf. Well, no, because the first thing he does is he, <laughs> is he tapes a, a plate and some foil to himself. Yes, to block the signal. Then he cuts it out of himself, and then he, like, lures a wolf into a trap and, like, wrestles it on the ground, puts a stick in its mouth and shoves the tracker down its throat and then, like, apologises to it. And it's all just so fucking bizarre. Yeah, like, it's it's so it's so heightened and so kind of out of nowhere for this franchise. This franchise, which is being quite realistic to end up with wolf wrestling and the man becoming one with nature and <laughs> utter, utter bizarre stuff like that. For then, the left turn the movie's about to take yeah. is so much more jarring because it's like, in yeah. a movie that's taking itself a little bit less seriously, something more like a Mission Impossible. I'd still be taken out of the movie if, if Ethan Hunt decided to wrestle a wolf at one point, mm-hmm. but it also wouldn't be the craziest thing that Tom Cruise and Ethan Hunt have done True. in the all of those movies. It would be weird, but the movies are funny and there's a deafness of tone. Even Skyfall has the scene where yeah, he it's jumps. It's a little bit cheeky. Yeah. It's a little bit cheeky, but he jumps on the back of the Komodo dragon and... Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like, we don't talk about those 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> we will next week. Yes, we will. But it's nowhere near as bizarre as what this scene is. Yeah, it's, it's so, 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 so strange. And, you know, him hearing the drone coming early and getting out and then they blow like, it up. And... I do like that, like, you can't hear it as an audience and then mm. he goes back inside and then comes back out and then you can start to hear it in the distance. I'm like, it. that's a nice little soundtrack and I'll give them props for that. Yeah, and, like, <laughs> it, it, it leads into the, you know, they are enhanced bullshit and he shoots one out of the air with a sniper rifle and, like, when they're reacting to it they're like what's this guy armed with it's like "Eh, probably a rifle it's like what (laughs) it's a strong rifle i mean yes but it's a drone and it's snowing and then okay buyer has a flashback to when he was crosses like co or whatever in somewhere in the middle east during the second gulf war and how he's just ordered him to do something that was reprehensible and it's like what we do is necessary we are sin eaters this that and the other you're off to kuwait off you go and did you know this scene was cut from this theatrical release and then they realized after they'd released it how does he know who he is so they had to put it back in when they did the dvd why the scene is bad like, i know the scene is he bad would, he, he would know who he is surely no but he's like he's, he sees his face and he's like ah aaron cross and they were like wait why yeah but this? surely if he's if he's involved in outcome surely he would know who all <laughs> no. the people involved in outcome were i would not bat an eyelid if this scene was not in the movie i like, know it's, it's just dumb funny and means to nothing. me when people release movies and 
then realise part of it doesn't work. Whether it actually does or doesn't is this, irrelevant. This part but... does. This is not a part that I don't think works. There are no, other no, parts I... in this movie that I think make no sense. I'm now annoyed. I'm saying whether it does or doesn't is irrelevant. The fact that they were like, ah, oh, shit, and put a scene back in because they were like, our film is broken. <laughs> I think that's kind of funny. But there are fundamental other scenes that know, are more broken. Can we, can we can just we move on try to... For? Right. At... <laughs> Yeah, I'd love to watch Skyfall. So at a lab that manufactures, or they don't actually, I wrote down they manufacture outcomes <laughs> meds, but then the fucking film reveals later, oh, we don't make them here. They do what do they shit. do? They just test, they just test they them? They monitor the virus stuff. So, right, but the live virus isn't there. What do they is. do? Three months ago they did it. So one of the researchers kills everyone, <laughs> except for Marta Shearing, and then uh, just before security can get to him, he kills himself. And then four agents go to Marta's house and try to kill her and make it look like suicide. But then Aaron Cross teleports in and saves her. So this shooting scene is awfully long when (laughs) there's no, like, real why is this happening, you know? And, like, we spent so little time with her that, like, obviously we're sympathetic to the situation and we don't want her to die. But it comes across as though it's like, oh, this character you really care about, so we're going to have an extended sequence with her. And it's like, this movie is very, very long, and there are many, many scenes in it that are five to ten minutes longer than they need to be. And this is just so drawn out, and just seeing him just gun them all down, one by one, and in this, from this frame of, like, mass shootings and stuff, it is all just so gross. It's gross, it's manipulative, because it's playing off that stuff. In a, the scene is functionally fine on its own. I just think in the context of this movie at this point, mm-hmm. coming off the back of drones have just blown up a wolf because uh-huh. Jeremy Renner's like forced <laughs> to eat a tracker. It's so kind of awful. Like Look. genuinely, like on taking it in a vacuum on its own, it's a fairly decent scene in establishing tension and uh-huh. yes, there's a lot of torture porn elements of like literally you watch him walk around the room, shoot people in the face like three times and he's just shooting them and it's awful and horrific. I like but- she stops him from opening the door that's 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 fun but the rest of it is like oh god and then it's like did he deliberately let her because they even asked that like why he let you live but then he does try and kill her but he just can't i mean that that all feels like it's set up from them where they're like they're trying to make a false narrative behind it and Um, they never fully clear up if he did this on orders or he snapped when he heard that they were gonna shut the program down or he accidentally got exposed to chemicals or is he just fucking crazy i don't know because they don't tell you bad. Marta remembers examining Aaron when they're talking to her afterwards and they're like, oh, what happens in that medical room at the back? And he proceeds to harass her and show off by, like, counting in Russian and being like, oh, so well, you're so attractive and stuff like that. And oh, that feels out of place. And then you see him doing his little montage of changing the license plates and getting passports and it just comes up so weak in comparison to the, you know, they do one of these scenes in every Bourne movie and this one just doesn't feel as good. And then we're in her giant house and she's being gaslit. Rachel Weisz is good in this scene. Mm-hmm. She's very good at kind of showing, like, I don't know, I, I don't think the movie's intending to do it, but she's very good at kind of showing this, I don't want to say PTSD, it, it probably is PTSD, but she's obviously very much freaking out and just trying to, like, yep. figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. And she's asking smart, she's, she says smart stuff, she's like, hey, hey, what are you a doctor of? And, like, you know, actually, hang on, what's going on? And, and stuff like that. It's just this, it, this is supposed to be kind of like this fun action movie, and then there's an extended sequence of two 
law enforcement agents forcing her to into like an apparent suicide while it's... like putting suggestions in her head of like oh yeah he was in love with you and oh i thought he was gay and and, and is that why you think he spared you and and you know snooping around her house a bit and stuff like that. yeah and then and then like literally about half a scene later than this there's a scene where Aaron Cross puts a nail in a in a fire, fire extinguisher. extinguisher and fires at someone, and it's like, yeah. what is going on with this movie? Like this, yeah. pick a lane. <laughs> yeah, well, again, like either you can be a little bit goofy fun and you can be doing the kind of super soldier thing, or you can be this kind of yeah. quite like it just isn't nailing the tone right. And I'm no. not saying that a movie can't thread the needle of both of these tones, but it's oh, just yeah. going from these really quite serious and quite distressing moments mm. to stuff that feels so out of whack with that. Like, I've not seen Birds of Prey yet, but like even that sounds like it has moments where it manages the thread the needle being goofy fun, but also having kind of yep. actual quite horrific moments of like th- the way the villains treat them and whatnot. Oh, 100%. Birds of Prey's great. And like I'm theoretically down for like, you know, the men in black have shown up to like lie to you and, and do a frame up and all of that and it turning almost into a horror movie or something where she realises what's happening. But then like, as you said, it's all just, it's so over the all over the place tonally that it even this doesn't work and then Aaron just arrives out of nowhere and like he later is oh he doesn't even fully explain it I mean he says you know he remembers her and everything and he's like oh you think they were just gonna kill you know the agents it's like but it just it still feels even with that explanation very strange that these two characters that we've seen have one scene together where she's injecting him or whatever, or taking his blood work or, or whatever, and then he just fucking flies in out of nowhere and saves her from this execution and proceeds to have this... It's one hour into the goddamn movie until we have a fight scene, and it's not even... It's it's only okay. There's that one cool shot where he, like, scales the wall and we follow him in through the window and then he shoots the person at the bottom of the stairs. Yeah, it's the most... Robert Ellsworth bit of the movie is yeah. that kind of shot like that feels like something like a Mission Impossible movie yes, it does. and the thing is it's a really good shot and really quite cool in like how it's structured and how like it's mm. all done in camera so you see Renner jumping at the building and whatnot yeah but it's also got this distinction of being like you kind of sit there and go like this feels so much not like a Bourne movie at yeah this we've got no time. shaky cam or or very little shaky cam going on it's strange. And, like, the fire... The, the pin the fire extinguisher feels like a vague attempt to do some Bourne stuff. Like, this is what he's known for. Improvised, like, weapons, because he doesn't actually love using guns. But then, I don't know. None of the fight scenes are all that interesting. They don't have a huge amount of bite to them. Yeah, no, I, I flat out gave this movie a half star less than I was intending to, because the final action set piece in this movie is so dull and so long. It's so, so boring. The movie's basically almost uh, over in my head. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of yeah, scenes that's that are there worth really, talking about. There is really about. not much... There's not that much more to talk about, really. They burn the house down. They burn um, the house down. Then they drive. They drive away in the car. Yeah. Like the entire time in this, I thought they were going to move to another set piece. No. Nope. Because there's the guy who's also at the house who he's they radio into. For them to radio into. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Who like drives away and is just like, I had to get away from there. The fire rangers are coming, and you're like, okay, cool. Wait, he's driving down the same road that they're at. They've stopped their car right now to have a conversation. Is he going to run to them, and they're going to have to like deal with him? And then nothing. no, not at all. So she reveals to him that all of the outcome agents like. They were so they take they he keeps calling them chems. They have blues and they have greens. And why has he come up with words for them? I don't, I don't know, but why like, is it such a dumb word? It's like, I know. It's, it's like a, a, t- a teenager kind of going like, oh, I need them chems. 
But I think other people call them chems. That's the problem. I don't know. And like, so there's blues and greens. I think greens are the physical and blues are the mental. Yeah, the green, the green is the one that he's been fully virused with up yes. to that point, but they're still giving them to him. And yes. the movie like dangles a little bit and he goes like, ooh, why are you still taking the greens? Why are you still taking the greens? Like, oh, is that something you're going to answer? Oh no, it's not nothing you're going to answer. Is it just to control also. us, man? Yeah, so they instead, they, oh, so they're using a viral infection to modify their DNA and it's something to do with mapping and that's what she does and they fully infected them so the changes the physical changes are permanent so he is permanently like strong and fast with good reflexes and all that shit you know you've seen a super soldier movie but the blues haven't and those are the ones that he's he's still got some of those but not very many and he's you know after shouting at her a lot they agree to go to manila so him being like offended that she doesn't remember him and like oh you just call me five and stuff like that it's like okay this could be vaguely interesting but it's coming across quite stalky here that he's like i we've met 13 times and i know he's got the photographic memory and, and all of that stuff but then giving a shit about not having chems on her being devastated to learn that they're kept overseas personally blaming her for stuff that she has nothing to do with being like yeah fine go I'm just gonna find whoever tries to kill you next and maybe they'll be helpful yeah, and but, but I also... understand that like well I don't even know if they are going for this but like in a, in a movie where they're just outright yeah he's a junkie these scenes have a completely different tone but when they don't actually fully commit to that you are risking him just looking like a fucking dickhead yeah exactly like there's no like the, the give a reason now in like a minute where he's just like oh I'm I'm going to go through like mental withdrawal or whatever, like however they phrase it, and like mm-hmm. he will be like a in a comatose state essentially coming coming off these drugs. Yeah, and it's like that's supposed to be what's kind of like spurring him on to get more. But so much of the movie up to this point hasn't been kind of like reinforcing that this is a fact. They've kind of hidden this from us, and so it just feels like he's a, he is a junkie, yeah. but not committing to that plot threat. And it's just like you could have set it up in the conversation with the guy who knows what the drugs do earlier on in the movie, where like mm-hmm. gives him the weird look when he says he hasn't had a blue in so long yeah but they don't they don't do yeah and i also just i don't think they need to be blues and greens like it just it comes across as there's no need if it was just one pill and he was out of that one pill it would have the same effect so they do the scene where he's like oh you can't call anyone and I'm, i'm really sorry and it just he is lacking damon's level of of sympathy and emotional connectivity here like the two of them lack the chemistry that jason and marie had but it seems like a very obvious callback to when jason is like calmly explaining to her and is like i'm really sorry but we're gonna have to cut your hair and we have to do this and we have to do that he reveals his real name is Kenneth J. Kitsum. So he wanted to join the army. His recruiter needed to fill a quota, so he lied and raised his IQ score by 12 points to uh, make bullshit, the minimum. Which is bullshit to start with. Like, why on earth is anything hiring people based on their IQ score at this point when IQ is such a bad way to actually but judge intelligence? But that's the thing, though. The army... Did you know the army invented the multiple-choice exam because it meant they could get more people in the army? <sighs> that's a lovely factoid I've been carrying around for a good decade now. As as in, like, people are more likely to get the correct answer if you give them five options or if three you options let people or guess, you're more likely to get some dum-dums past the <laughs> test, is the idea. But as opposed to going, like, answer this question with nothing. Uh, uh I don't know. Yeah. So, if, if he was 12 points below the minimum, that means his IQ was 73. <laughs> that is borderline impaired. 
not my terminology. And average is 100. So, is that, Aaron is that Cross the, the, is... Do you, is that minimum to join the army? I don't know, but I think I read it, it was like, oh, that makes it 73. So The US military has minimum enlistment standards at about the IQ level of 85. There you go. And he's, that would make him 73 if he's 12 points below the minimum. And if average is 100 and most people are higher than average... Well, no, they're not because then it would be <laughs> Most people are not higher than average. Most people are higher than the average. No, um, but so you know... Is, I, I have a story related maybe to Maybe my IQ is 73 based on that, man. Someone told me a story about someone who worked at our company who um, were doing numbers and, they, and we kind of gave them an average for like what stuff was going to be and their immediate response to that was i don't want you to show me these numbers again until every single store is above average but then they wouldn't <laughs> yeah no yeah surely he meant until all of them are above this average i mean i'd hope so <laughs> okay okay jesus christ um <laughs> So Aaron is doesn't want to be uh, borderline impaired anymore, or again, or worse, it will turn out is the reveal is that coming off them will make him go past uh, what he was. So he does some bullshit with a disposable camera to make a fake passport. I was very confused by this. It's like a what it's, again? It's it's a process movie that doesn't show you what the process is. Like there's a cool bit where they go like this is a cool hack to fake your passport, but it's just like yeah, he gets some like play doh and puts it on and then tracks some wires and. And then mm-hmm. takes lots of photos of a disposable camera, and then boom, fake passport, which I'm not going to show you. But what he's actually doing is he is frying the digital chip that is contained uh, in a passport uh, to make it unreadable, so they're just having to go off the picture. Again, the movie doesn't... <laughs> I know it doesn't. Everything I know about this movie, I didn't learn from the movie. Oh, Jesus. So they make like, it... There is a, there's a difference between withholding stuff and making your audience kind of like have to figure it out based on context clues, and also straight up not giving you information or stuff to work with like yeah. i don't know how passports work or what taking multiple photos with the digital camera is gonna do like there's no. not even a scene where like someone's scanning it through and kind of going like oh the chip's not working uh-huh. i need to- that isn't in the movie if that was <laughs> i could figure it out oh, my geez. iq is not 73 <laughs> Mine might be, after watching this, anyway. So they arrive in Manila, they bluff their way into the lab, Cross gets his viral treatment. In the background we have, it's revealed Hirsch died of a heart attack, I'm going to put that in air quotes, uh, shortly before he was going to have to stand trial about Bourne's stuff. Bourne's picture is on the news, we are again reminded, Aaron Cross is not Matt Damon. So uh, we've said it like three times, so I don't think we need to say it that much more, but like, Bayer's team putting together how where they are is kind of cool. What is really added? by the airport and plane scenes with with Aaron and Marta. What is really happening here? I'm actually asking you, what is happening? Oh, what is happening here? Uh, <laughs> like, like what does this add to the movie? Is, is my... Exactly. Could we have not just shaved those bits off and gone the whole way with the, like, how they tracked them? This film makes me sad more than anything. <laughs> I'm more annoyed now talking about it than I was in the movie. In the movie, I was just kind of bored. <laughs> I'm now actively mad at this movie. Yeah. Mission Possible 2 is a sexist piece of shit, mm-hmm. but there's a gleefulness to yeah. the way it does action. Backflip kick. Baby. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. Like they are fully committed to what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And this feels like no one in this movie is committed to anything that's going on. No. The actors are there, they do their job, yeah. they don't phone it in, thank God, because this yeah. movie would be unbearable if the actors were phoning it it's in. It's about the only thing keeping it together. Th- this movie doesn't need to exist. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it shouldn't have existed based on the amount of money it made nope. off its budget. Like, I mean, it made money. I'm sure it wasn't a complete loss, but Universal probably looking at that return and going, like, Jesus Christ, how much money do we have to 
paid Paul Greengrass and, and Matt Damon to come back. Not that much, because both of their careers will take a downward turn and they'll just come right on back. <laughs> hey, Paul Greengrass had Captain Phillips. He did, that's true. That's true. He, he, I just really out. didn't like Green Zone, is all. <laughs> Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> There's a scene where Aaron, like, spaces out while they're in the factory, and I don't know if they intended it to be funny, but knowing what I know about his IQ score, it kind of made me laugh. <laughs> So, uh, there's also the exposition of it's treadstone without the inconsistency, it's outcome without the emotional noise, and it's like, none of that makes sense. Why is outcome some kind of, like, emotional- what does that mean? I know! So far, so far, we- all we know is Oscar Isaac fell in love with someone, and so he uh, put him on top of a mountain in Alaska. Emotional noise. Emotional noise. There's <laughs> guy in Pakistan, there's really quite ripped black guy, and- Yeah. And- Lady in Korea? Lady in Korea, I think. Yeah. And know. then possibly Paz and Dash. Who knows? And Dash. But like none of them have emotional noise. <laughs> Most of them don't talk. They seem like I... they have less emotional noise. Yeah, it, it, I mean again, like Aaron, Aaron Cross Aaron Cross straight up murders three security guards in like in this very scene. So Bayer activates Larks while Corey Stoll is like, hey, can we do this thing? Like really like as if he's like got the answer for the teacher or whatever. And then they're like, Yeah, okay, let's do Larks and then he's like, Yeah and it's just it's like, what? Is this how you would talk about this assassination program? Lark's 03 is a super brainwashed super soldier assassin who gets on a flight and goes to try and kill Cross, who is briefly suffering from viral treatment complications. Because you, I mean, say bri- you say briefly. We should really briefly. Like, he wakes up the next day and he's fine. And it has no It just means he has flashbacks. Impact. He has flashbacks to his treatment, and he looks fucking awful. Like they yeah, did a no, good job of that, but nothing bad happens to him because he's gone through this in the final action set piece. Yeah. It just means um, he's waiting in the place while they're surrounding him, and she's off buying him medication. And, and then she shouts, and then the chase Aaron! happens. <laughs> it's so bad. I know. Yeah, and I don't want. I don't want to talk about this. Okay. Final chase. Yeah, the chase. The chase should be considered a form of torture. It is so boring. Nothing happens. She fucking kicks him off the bike he's supposed to be this elite mega soldier i'm not saying a person getting kicked off a bike wouldn't kill them but it's a very anticlimactic finish while aaron is like passed out at the wheel as it were yeah like, it's fucking trash you come from multiple ball movies that finish with like actually quite good car chases uh-huh. where like it feels realistic it feels like embedded in the world uh-huh. and like the cars are getting beaten up and it's like oh this is fun i'm enjoying this and then you watch this and you're like what's going on yep. where are we who's who's doing the chase there's no yep. weight or anything he, he to... crashes off his bike and then gets up gets back on his bike catches them is his bike faster why did he catch them <laughs> it's fucking trash having a terminator stalking them around and then just doing this substandard chase on foot and then another substandard chase on a bike and then Aaron passes out so she has to save the day which you know cool and then that's it it's over there's no final scene there's no final scene with Edward Norton yeah. there's no what made interesting in the previous movies or at least in the first movie was Jason Bourne had a personal connection sort of to all of the other yeah. people he was kind of killing in that movie yes. like they were they were related to him in some way and obviously like they get further and further away from that in the next two but they're all people who are like him and they have a conversation about it there's nothing like that in this movie where he had like, never met another person in Outcome before yeah he never met another person in Outcome but it's he's not definitely like, never met anyone in Larks he didn't yeah Aaron Cross and Larks do not have a conversation Larks, Larks 
so literally just, thank you very much. Sorry, Lark's 03. They don't share... <laughs> a character name they give an Asian actor who gets no lines. Lark's 03. <sighs> Good stuff. I just don't know what the thought process was. They weren't where thinking. Like... They weren't thinking at all. And then Noah Vosen lies to the Senate and claims that Blackbriar just existed to get Jason Bourne and Pam Landy has committed treason. And then she's dragged away or, or like escorted through paparazzi and stuff. Which and... feels questionable at best because they're just like, oh, you can read these. No one understands what's in these documents, especially yeah. not her, but she's leaked them and that's illegal. And mm. it's like, what? Trivia leads me to say that allegedly one of the documents that Bourne handles in Ultimatum from the safe says something about how Blackbriar has changed to be about getting Jason. It's like, okay, but that doesn't mean this isn't bullshit. Like, And then it's just like, oh, they gave the fisherman that security man in the factory's watch so he could just sail them around. And then, like, Rachel Weiss gives him a look that he does not deserve <laughs> because she's magnetic and charming and they have no chemistry and they almost resisted doing a love story but then they do all these multiple close-ups of their hands and stuff and then she's basically like, hey, can we just bang in exotic locations maybe? And then they play the Moby song and we're done. And nothing has been resolved and none of it was good. <laughs> <laughs> and we will never get a sequel to it, even though they threatened to have Justin Lin direct another one. I know, fuck. But at least, movie. at least Justin Lin is good at doing action. Yeah, well, you'll never get to see it. Thank God. What a piece of shit! I put it at the bottom of the list. You put it above Mission Impossible Two. I want you to change it right now. <laughs> Again, I can't in good conscience. Mission Impossible Two is <laughs> fine. People, everyone here is acting, and I suppose the camera is successfully pointed at things. And I guess the music isn't bad. But, my God, one of the worst scripts we're going to encounter, possibly on any podcast we do, and we did a lot about fucking superhero movies. <laughs> so, I know. Oh, villain Watch, Eric Byer is nothing. I mean, Ed Norton is fine, but like, like you said, he gets no real payoff with Aaron Cross. Aside from that flashback, there is nothing to make it personal between them. Maybe that would have been better if it wasn't personal, because then you're expecting a personal payoff, where it's like, hey, I remember you. But no, none of that. He just yeah, fucks because, off after. I don't, I don't even want to make the assumption that they made this with the expectations that they would get sequels to do more, is is the weird thing. And maybe, like, I don't think Hollywood's at that point where it's no, they're not doing the whole, like, the MCU hasn't taken off yet, really, enough to have an impact on this movie, where... The Incredible Hulk's own Ed Norton. <laughs> yes, but like after after the Avengers, obviously everyone kind of goes like, oh shit, this is how you make movies now. When everyone starts to do like, we need to do world building and we'll do world building immediately in one movie. Uh-huh. And I don't think this movie's attempting to do that, but right. it does feel so weird that like there's nothing to make this feel like a satisfying complete narrative has happened. Even less so than the Bourne identity, which does kind of feel like it concludes something even mm-hmm. though you don't get the full picture of what it does until the end of Born Ultimatum, which is yeah. one of the more impressive things about that trilogy. Yeah. But this movie does nothing. And like even the zoom out on the boat is inferior to the zoom out in Mykonos when he finds her again in her scooter shop, you know? Like because that's like a cute little callback. And this is just like, oh, and what if they just love each other now? And yeah, no, nothing is resolved with any of these villains. Not with Ed Norton, not with Stacey Keach, not with Dennis Boots. 
Chorus. Should have rehearsed that before I tried to say it for the first time. You know, the support team of like Corey Stahl and, and Donna Murphy and Michael Chernus, like they get more camera time than these support teams normally do, but still not very much to them. Kramer and Hirsch are back, but there's not really much going on there either. Vosen, Vosen getting one last villainous dig in is kind of potentially well, the best I mean, thing to happen with a villain in this movie. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess, I guess you can say the movie's going for a point where it's like it doesn't matter what you do, it doesn't matter. Like they, they have the conversation where Aaron Cross goes to to Marta Shearing and goes like. I don't know why I did the full name, so... <laughs> uh, where, he, where he goes through and goes, like, do you think you can give this information fast enough and hard enough that, like, they're not going to just kill you? Or, yeah. like, something along those lines. Yeah, and yeah, it feels yeah. like the movie's kind of making an exaggerated point around that, where it's like, it doesn't matter that Bourne leaked this information at the end of the last movie, because they've they'll got... Control it, yeah. they, they'll control it, yeah. They'll control it. And Ed Norton repeatedly says things about get this story out there and stuff like that. Because, I, like, they cook up the thing of, like, oh, we could say she's taking home, like, top-secret samples and stuff and it's like good i love it that's a great angle let's do that and all of that is scary but not fully realized <laughs> yeah that's the thing is because the movie doesn't end with anything like that where yeah. like we don't get to see the extent of like well we need to cover up this larks thing what are we going to do to cover up this larks thing or nothing you will never hear the word larks out, out loud again and yeah, Larkso 3. Theoretically, the final fight villain is introduced one hour and 40 minutes in and is dead within 15 or 20 minutes or or maybe six and, and a half years, however long that fucking chase lasts. Yeah, and isn't even like a particularly interesting physical threat. No, no hand-to-hand fight, chases him on a bike, dies. Great. Did you throw up? No, because the shaky cam is gone. The staple of Bourne. Just the chases, I think. They did a bit of that in the chase scenes, but the fight's all gone. No punch sound effects. Just, it's not Jason Bourne, if you're not almost throwing up. Female agency, you know, Rachel Weisz is trying. I like that she's smart enough to, you know, outwit the, the shooting thing at the beginning. I like that she gets to kill Larks. I don't like... Aaron Cross berating her for all of this shit. I don't like that they couldn't resist that little romance thing at the end. And it's not like she has nothing to do, like a lot of the characters we've covered so far. Like, Marie arguably doesn't really have much to do. And the various Mission Impossible female agents don't have much to do. She has things to do, it's just it's entirely be traumatised by things that are happening to you. (laughs) And that kind of sucks. But I wouldn't say it's like outright sexist in the way that Mission Impossible 2 is. No, it, it, it is not that. There are no conversations where people talk about women are like monkeys. They won't let go of one branch until they've got a firm grasp of another. Fuck. <laughs> you forgot that, didn't you? Yeah. It kind of seems like she's the only woman in it, but that's not true. There are various women dotted throughout, but she's the only one that's a real character. Like, Donna Murphy, I guess, is a presence in those little scenes where they're trying to surveil, but that's about it. Joan Allen shows up for Joan Allen does her one scene. I regret many things. This isn't on the list. Blah, blah, blah. Movie's fucking over. We get to do Skyfall next week. Ugh. Again, this, this when I was watching it, I was like, this is boring, but there's stuff that I'm enjoying. The final fight not went out of me. And... You sent me a text in the middle, and you were like, I feel it's getting better, and it's getting more confident in its ideas. And I was like, just you fucking wait. <laughs> when they get on those bikes. And yeah, and now talking to it, I'm just like, oh god, what a wretched piece of shit this was. <laughs> this is awful. I have not, this is the least enjoyable film we have covered on any of our podcasts, I think. Not worst. Least enjoyable. Yeah, no, that, that's that's the thing. Is it's competent with decent performances, but like I I will never watch this movie. I again. enjoyed watching Catwoman more than I enjoyed watching this. Yeah, like I am actively annoyed that we have 
had to watch this movie for this now. What if I just don't release this episode and we pretend it goes the Bourne, it goes Ghost Protocol, Skyfall, just Matt Damon did all four Bourne movies, you know? What if? We can't do that. Go to entertherealworld.com, stay tuned for next to, week. To be fair, other, other podcasts on this network have covered worse stuff than this. Hmm, suppose. suppose. Uh, yeah, we haven't had to do Suicide Squad. Speaking of which, go listen to the superhero Pantheon, who are just cranking out the hits now with Mega Mind <laughs> and my super ex girlfriend and Hank. I don't actually, know, I don't actually know if that's what they're covering, so but I assume that's what they're going to be getting oh, to. Oh, I took what you said as, as gospel. Shit. All right, I can't leave that in now. No, I know. I assume that I, I think they are getting to to Hancock soon, but like I will okay. assume that like at some yeah. point. Alright, well apparently maybe, there are yet maybe more super maybe I go text, movies out. I go text Jerome and go like, when you're covering my super ex-girlfriend. Okay. <laughs> See how that goes. They kind of have to now, if that's their mission, Steve. <laughs> oh god, real bad first week of every month. That is the Breaking Bad podcast with Jerome and Kevin. Kevin's Flooping the Pig continues on as they work through their archive. There will be new episodes recorded later this year. And uh, what a piece of shit this was. At least we get to do Skyfall next week. Woo! I'm excited. <laughs> This podcast self-destructs in five seconds and it can't come soon enough. End me, please. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Secret agent.